Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. So we're continuing our in-depth conversation about OpenAI chat GPT. And if you want to hear my initial podcast on this, it's available on LinkedIn. I posted it. Bruce Schneier and Nathan Sanders join us now. Nathan Sanders is a data scientist. He's affiliated with the Berkman Client Center at Harvard, and he helped create something called the Harvard Climate Justice Design Fellowship Program. Uh, He has helped build and lead data science teams in industry at a whole host of different places. He has built open source applications for oversight of environmental regulation including the Mystic River Watershed Association in Massachusetts. He develops statistics. Uh, he's really all about, as a young person, um, figuring out how data can be used with widespread application in a number of different ways so that we can see our Earth and understand what's happening with it. He did his undergrad work in physics and astrophysics in Michigan State and then had a P- has a Ph.D. in astronomy and astrophysics at Harvard. Bruce Schneier is a security technologist. He lectures at Harvard. And he has been called a security guru by The Economist. He's written 14 different books as well as hundreds of articles. And he has an influential newsletter called Cryptogram and a blog called Schneier on Security, which are read by hundreds of thousands of people. He's also a fellow at the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at Harvard. And the two of them wrote a guest essay that I I took real notice of called How Chat GPT, and I always have to slow down to say it, it's hard to say, hijacks democracy. So, Bruce and Nathan, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. It is. It is for me. So let me begin. uh, Let me begin with Bruce. Bruce, hello. Uh, Bruce, tell me a little bit from your background in security, why OpenAI presents a threat to democracy potentially. So we're writing about OpenAI and also about AI in general. So OpenAI is a large language model, and it produces human-like text on a variety of topics based on prompts. So it can be used as a substitute human mm-hmm. where we interact with democracy. So you think about uh, letters to the editor or comments in newspapers and publications. 
think about public comments to rulemaking, places where we as citizens engage in, in the process via text, this now can be done automatically and at scale. So and let me ask you just, something, Bruce. You know, bots on yeah. Twitter. It's, it's okay. You know, engaging in conversations. So let me ask you something. If I'm still a person and English is my second language, let me play devil's advocate with you for a minute. English is my second language, but I care very deeply about immigration reform, but I don't write English terribly well. If I use OpenAI and ask to compose a letter, a letter to the editor or a letter to all my congressmen and senators on the issue, what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. That's a great thing. Right. And that's just like you going to your cousin who speaks English better and say, help me write this letter. Okay. No, we want the assistive technology to be used to help actual humans be more articulate. What we don't want is for you to say to go to ChatGPT and say, write five million letters, pretend mm. they're from five million people, and send them. That's the difference. So I want this technology to be assistive to help humans, but not to replace what we think of as human debate. And do we have the technology? for that senator to be able to say, I know that these are not coming from 5 million humans? Not really. You know, there is work being done on try to fingerprint large language models, but this is an arms race. And my mm. guess is that the language creation will be in the lead. So it's not going to be something where you can just, you know, figure out who the, uh, who the non-people are and exclude them. They're going to they're sound just like people. Did you happen to see, let me ask Nathan to chime in on this, did you happen to see that China uh, already decided that they were going to impose limits on OpenAI chat GPT technology and the EU is fast coming after them as well? Did you notice that? That's interesting. You know, I had not seen that about China specifically, but I can tell you I read a very interesting headline this morning from here in my own state of Massachusetts. Uh, it was uh, reported that uh, actually, my state senator, Feingold, has actually used ChatGPT specifically to draft legislation for what I think is the first time. And it's actually legislation governing uh, the use of AI. And this has now been filed in the Massachusetts legislature. So to me, it really reinforces the kinds of questions that Bruce is raising uh, when we intersect the capabilities of large language models and AI generally as they're advancing so quickly with our democratic processes. Where does that lead to? And I, I think some of the uh, regulatory solutions that may seem obvious, like, for example, let's just not allow it. Let's try and detect it and exclude it. Uh, I think, frankly, as Bruce says, that won't work very well. But I do think there are other solutions that we can use to try and uh, protect or, and even maybe improve our democratic processes. And I think you gave a great example, Lisa, of assistive technology for translation. Mm. You know, it's interesting because on March 1st, 2022, China passed regulations that stipulate that tech companies have to inform users in a, quote, conspicuous way. So the tech companies, that's where they've imposed the burden. If algorithms are being used to push content to them, and then they say users will reportedly be able to opt out. But also in China, they have provisions against generating and aggregating fake news and against, quote, exploiting gig workers like delivery drivers by using algorithms. So... What do we think about that, Bruce? What do we think about China, of all places, saying you can't use misinformation as a tech company? You know, I mean, I, I think you have to look at laws China passes with, with a little bit of a, a jaundiced eye, the way they're enforced and how, how they're used. Uh, the EU is, is looking at, at similar things. Certainly labeling, 
Yep. Right. Labeling seems like a, a bare minimum. And I know that there are uh, – I've seen publications in the U.S. that are using automatic uh, text generation for articles, at least for drafts, and it is labeled. It is clearly labeled, and that, that seems important. And uh, you know, when you're looking at using AI more generally, uh, you mentioned to exploit gig workers or to figure out patterns. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be the tension between you know, is the AI system being used day to day, as in like the system that shows you your Facebook feed, versus is it being used to figure out a something which is then implemented more conventionally? I think the former, again, are you going to see uh, labeling requirements? Opt out would be fantastic. Uh, less likely in the U.S. I would look more to the EU for those sorts of regulations as well. But this really speaks to we're living in a very fast-changing world where these automated decision-making technologies, whether you call them AI or something you know, super simple like your home thermostat, are being used in a lot of different areas. And we as people don't fully understand how they're used, what their effects are, what their side effects are, mm. or even how to begin to regulate it. Yeah, no, this is a brave new world. I've been talking about this since uh, late December when a family of mine who happened to be geniuses in this computer world sat down with me and showed me how easy it was to use. And I generated a new slogan for my show, which was very hard for me to do. I couldn't figure it out. And I've been on the air 16 years. And OpenAI did it for me in about three seconds. So uh, I was. The slogan? Uh, empowering listeners to make a difference one conversation at a time. Nicely done. And I really like it. They actually said one step at a time. I changed it to conversation, but there's the human element. But still. And that's important, right? It's the collaboration of the human and the computer that produces the best results. Exactly. Do not underestimate that tweak you made. A hundred percent. I agree with that. But on the other hand, I have, you know, cousins that are kids in colleges, very fine universities, who are telling me uh, that the cat is completely out of the bag, that every essay is being written now with open AI, and that's what it is. That's what it is. Now, you're in the academic world. You're both at Harvard. How are you going to grade student papers now? What are you going to do? So I, I teach, and my feeling is my students are in the class to learn. And if they want to fake it, it's a horrible waste of money, and I actually, it's their problem, not mine. And this is no different from the pocket calculator. This is uh-huh. no different from Google Translate or mm. Google in general, that these are assistive tools that are in the world and will be used by the students of today. And to say you can't use a calculator in a class because we want you to pretend it's 10 years ago and you have to memorize stuff or you can't use Google Translate. No, you, you can, if you want, use these tools. You are responsible for what, they, what it says, for its accuracy, for its, its style. And yes, you know, you, you put in a chat GPT and you get a, you know, a solid B, B, B minus, but you're not learning anything. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know what I thought of? <laughs> and I bet Bruce will remember this, but Nathan won't. Um, I thought if you really wanted to become a Luddite today and you were a teacher and you really wanted to test the mastery of a student, because you're already talking about, you know, students have an option whether they're going to really learn it or not. I'm not, I'm not with you, okay? Let's say I'm in high school, and I want my kids to master the material. I'm not interested in making a philosophical conversation with them about their use of time. I want them to master this material. It's important to me as a teacher. You know what I would do? I would put a blue book in front of them and try and <laughs> try very hard to read their handwriting, their horrible handwriting, because they haven't been taught to write script. So they're going to print out the whole thing, which is going to take them longer. And um, that's that may be what some Luddites go back to in order to test to see if students actually know information. They'll go back to writing a blue book. I doubt it, but you never know. No, that's the way language tests work today. If you want to test someone's language relation abilities, you do it in class. You have to do it in class. You have to see them write it out. Yes. To me, I think that's the right way to think about this. You know, in the education context, how do we change our assessments to respond to the fact that the tools students are using are evolving? It doesn't have to be a, a negative thing. It doesn't have to be uh, associated with fear-mongering. It's just an evolution in tools and how do we respond to it. And on the democracy side, I think the same thing is true. You know, if we're worried about over-influence of AI in democratic processes, how can we evolve our democratic system so that they privilege human actors so that people can become more engaged? I think that's the fundamental way to respond to a, a challenge like that. How are you going to do that? How are you going to, when we have inboxes and email boxes and we're so used, if you're a politician, to getting responses from constituents, how are you going to do that? It's such a great question. I think there's some things that clearly won't work and some things I think really could work. So one thing that we've already talked about that I don't think is a good idea is trying to emphasize detection and exclusion, trying to say, oh, this letter looks like it was written by an AI. I'm not mm -hmm. even going to look at it. I think uh, there are people who really would benefit from this assistive technology, and they might be preferential or more, more likely to be disadvantaged. Uh, they may not be native English speakers, um, and we, we wouldn't want to be exclusionary of them. Uh, and in addition, the technology for detection, as Bruce said, it probably is not going to keep up. Um, but I think there are ways that we can make it easier for those people uh, or for everybody to participate in democracy. So things as simple as making sure that there's child care uh, at a town hall or public meeting so that everyone can participate, uh, making sure that we're promoting engagement between people and legislators that, that might start digitally, it might start with an email to uh, a policymaker controlling an issue you care about, but maybe leads to a conversation. Uh, there, there's a, an issue of scale there, as you say. Legislators, in some cases, are maybe already overwhelmed. So I think the question is how can we help them engage better in new ways, make it more accessible, rather than trying to exclude people because of this new fear. Nathan, are you going to run for public office? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I hadn't considered that, but I, I am very interested in turning uh, the challenges presented by AI into something that could be beneficial in some way. You know, uh, just to sort of restate my argument, I think there's an opportunity for us to put in place real good governance reforms that have been talked about for a long time uh, that are truly responsive to the threat of AI, uh, but don't require us to, um, you know, stand down in fear that uh, AI will take over. Yeah, I, this is the yeah. world we are moving towards. So how right. do we make right. how do we make it work for us? 
as citizens, as humans. Yeah. Um, You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid of AI in the way that other people uh, seem to be afraid of it. I agree with you. It's a tool like a calculator, but I think if you could excuse the pun, it's exponentially more significant than the calculator because human language and writing is used it's just used so in a such more broad-based way than math in the general world. And, and it's also used as a proxy for intelligence. Yes, it is. And that's, that's why we, you know, ChatGPT is, you know, all it is is a large language model. But because yes. it can make sentences and sounds coherent and makes points and makes arguments, we are very quick to assign it agency and, and mm-hmm. a kind of humanity because yeah. that's how we're biased. Yes, that's right. Like Hal, just like the computer Hal in 2001, A Space Odyssey. He spoke to us, right? He sounded like a human. Yeah, he so spoke to us because we're yeah. older. Didn't speak to kids these days. Well, but they watch it too. It's a classic, Stanley Kubrick. And, and the point was, and this is going to happen now, uh, we tend to assign human attributes <laughs> to things that aren't human if they sound human. Now, we are biased as a species to recognize other people. I mean, it's that two over one, right? Two dots over one dot, you immediately see a face. Mm. That's how our brains are primed. Mm. So, so if something talks, it, it's intelligent. That's correct. It just talks. That's I think it's right. one reason why we don't think uh, octopi are intelligent, because they're, they don't have social intelligence. So we mm-hmm. kind of miss their problem-solving intelligence. Yeah. Yeah, so is OpenAI going to give Google a run for its money, guys? What do you think? Nathan, I think first. we don't know. I mean, o- o- OpenAI is one of the companies that makes their uh, tools available to the public. Mm-hmm. And all, all the, the stuff they sell, I mean, everyone else sort of keeps them private. Right. So I don't think we can handicap that because we just don't know what everyone else is doing. We, yeah. we know there are better things than ChatGPT. You know, which is based on GPT 3.0 that are already being being used. We just don't see the details. And they yeah. Can well, I, I, yeah, as a layman, right, as somebody who was completely afraid of this but then was sort of talked into experimenting with it, I was blown away about how easy it was. And if I was blown away, and I'm a dummy in the tech world, um, I think the applications are – for example, and I was – telling this to, um, to our listeners earlier, uh, my friend just told me that she was denied insurance coverage for an MRI, okay? So how often has that happened? Like every single day of every minute, right? All the time. You're denied insurance coverage. She decided to ask OpenAI ChatGPT to write the letter of appeal. She said it was fantastic. They pushed, quote, all the buttons that she would not have known to push in order to get it to the next level. I wouldn't have even thought of using it for that. I, I love that example. And I do want to call out, if we think of the competitive landscape, uh, I think folks in the ML community, machine learning community, recognize that OpenAI has given themselves a huge advantage by making this demonstration of their current technology public. They're using a reinforcement learning system to build ChatGPT. What that means is that they learn from the way that people respond. They learn mm. from what people say in response to messages sent by ChatGPT to people. And so by having this public demonstration that has inspired so many millions of people to try the service and to interact with it, they're actually capturing really valuable data that I don't think any other company is on that scale yet. Not a public company. 
It's, a, it's still a private company, right? Microsoft, some early investors like Elon Musk, they all collaborated. This is their thing, right? I, I believe that's right. I know Microsoft made a very large, very public investment uh, mm-hmm. in OpenAI after seeing the success of their public demonstration of ChatGPT. Yeah. Okay, well, Bruce Schneier and Nathan Sanders, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for writing this op-ed in the New York Times. I, I was very, I was cogitating over it for quite some time. I think it's important to be cautionary. I think it's important that our public officials hear, uh, hear that they could be, um, that they could be, they could be um, influenced not by their own constituents, but by more nefarious efforts than that. And they're going to have to figure that out, aren't they? They're going to have to figure that they out. They are. Thanks it's for a us. brave new world. Yep. I think we're both just going to say thank you. It's a pleasure to join you today. Oh, it's a pleasure for me. Thank you so much, guys. Take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com. 